Thank you, John. Wow, it's good to see everybody this morning. Love the worship. Thank you, guys. Love the presence of the Lord here with us. Uh, if, if we don't have that, we don't have anything. At least we don't have anything worth anything. So it's great. Uh, thank you. So just, just a quick update. Um, yes. Oh, the, the kids are released. <laughs> for <laughs> whatever you're released to, go. <laughs> uh, let me just, just give you a quick update. Uh, I did last week, very briefly, sort of impromptu, Amy asked me to come up and share something. And uh, I was dealing with uh, jet lag severely and some little intestinal friends I brought back with me from <laughs> South Sudan. And so I, wasn't, I don't even know for sure what I said last week. But... Um, just some of the projects in the, in the ministry that this church has sown into so much in the last few months. Just the, the refugee center in Reynosa, Mexico that was opened. Uh, is, it's up and running uh, full, full bore. We have approximately 200, 220. You know, it's a population influx, so somewhere between 200, 250. Uh, mainly Haitian refugees. We're dealing primarily with women and children because that's the most vulnerable population. Um, they, the ones who are living there in the refugee center were before on the streets or in the, um, the unofficial impromptu tent cities that had popped up in different places in the city, which were very, very dangerous places. Uh, the stories were, will break your heart of kidnappings and rapes and abuse and all of that that's occurring in those places. So we, we were able to rather quickly, by the grace of God, get a place open and start receiving some refugees. The ones we're dealing with are working through the process legally of seeking asylum in the United States. If you, if you know, Haiti is in a just political chaos. Uh, the president was assassinated just a few months ago, and it's, it, the whole country's in, in turmoil and chaos. So uh, they're all connected with lawyers uh, associated with the Immigration Service, working through the Customs and Border Patrol, working through the asylum process. The ones who granted asylum will be ushered into the United States through the Customs and Border Patrol. The ones who are denied asylum, we're working on getting them work visas to be integrated into Mexico if they want to stay in Mexico. So that's very, very quickly. That's a nutshell of what's happening there. But on a spiritual level, they have moved from a place that was destitute and hopeless into a place where every day they hear the gospel. They're having celebration and worship every night. Every day, people are being saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and I've got video after video after video that they keep sending me of the joyful worship services occurring in the refugee camp every night. It's just beautiful. So praise the Lord. And this is a population influx. So they're very quickly going to be going out and they're going to be carrying the gospel with them wherever they go. Among communities that most of us would never... Uh, we would never be able to gain a, a, a foot in their communities, whether it's in the United States or somewhere else. And they're going to be carrying the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit with them. So it's just a, a blessing. And the, um, the trip to South Sudan that I just returned from uh, was prompted because in our Bible Institute in Western Kenya, we've been over the last two years, we've been receiving many students from South Sudan. If you're at all familiar with, with South Sudan, you know, they've basically been in one kind of civil war or another for the last 20 years. 
and maybe longer than that, Tim. Yeah, Tim, Tim and Marcia have both worked there for several years as well. And um, so there's very little infrastructure. It's, uh, it's just a lot of weird dynamics going on relationally in the place. But the Lord opened a door for us to receive students from there at the Bible College. Uh, one particular man who was a captain in the South Sudanese Liberation Army met Jesus, came to the Bible school for two years. His heart's desire is to go back to his tribe, which is the Como tribe, an unreached people group, or barely reached people group, that lives in remote areas of South Sudan in Ethiopia. So he, he went back last November or December, and he's been working in a particular area of a, of a, they don't call it a refugee camp, it's an internally displaced people camp or village because of the civil wars and the, and the flooding and whatnot. Uh, of, of his tribe, the Como tribe, he's worked there, he's planted a church, we got to go visit with him, we're just trying to support him in what he's doing. The, the, the vision of missions in this age is you raising up and empowering indigenous leaders who have a heart to go back to their people and take the gospel. That's what works. So we're just trying to, to fulfill our role in that. So we got the privilege of going into a rem fairly remote area of South Sudan. We did not get quite as far as we wanted. That involved walking for two or three days, and uh, the military would not give us permission. We were too white to, to go. Uh, if you understand what I'm saying, we would have attracted too much attention. They did not want that liability, so they, they were not, would not allow us to do the very last leg of the journey. But we were still in a very remote area, and uh, Peter Joaquin has established a, a work there with the Como tribe. And I tell you, it is beautiful. In absolutely destitute conditions, living, and uh, most of these people have lived in this camp for, you know, six to ten years. The camp was established in 2013. And um, if, you've, if you've never really been to rural Africa, you've never seen true poverty. I, I don't know how else to say it. There, there's nothing here anywhere that approaches Africa poor. True? And, and you just, you know, I'm not trying to say anything to make somebody feel bad or be overly dramatic. It's just the truth. But, and, and here's the only reason I mention it. These people living there, uh, families of six to ten people in a small little one-room, dirt-floored, uh, bamboo or mud-and-stick hut. When they meet Jesus, the joy that comes over them is amazing. And, and in that place, already a couple hundred believers, because of what Peter Joaquin, the graduate, has been doing. And to, to be able to step in there and see the joy and hear the joy in their, in their voices as they're praising God is just indescribable. And so all it's, it's a big circle. We're all one little piece of a big mosaic that God is painting. Okay? And we're just one little piece. But we must be faithful to our piece. And so that's part of what we get to be part of. And then locally, you know, it's not just about what's happening abroad. Locally, we're also seeing so much fruit. And actually, that's a little bit of what I want to talk about today. Um, I don't, I'm not a guy that looks back a whole lot. You know, um, my brother Dave or, and, and Deb, they have a, a plaque in their home that says uh, something like, don't stumble over something that's behind you. Okay? You, you understand, like, if you're, if you're hiking on a trail and you sort of catch your toe, and then you, but you move on, 
the worst thing you can do is look back to see what you've stumbled over because you'll stumble over something in front of you because you're looking backward. Okay? And in the spiritual realm, you don't want to be found always looking back and falling over the obstacles behind you. Okay? We've all got a story. We've all got stuff. But we need to keep our eyes forward. And I'm, I'm, I'm very typically a forward-looking fella. But today, for just a minute, I want us to look back just a little bit so we can maybe understand a little bit more the season we're in so we can focus more on, on going forward. There are several places throughout the Old Testament that the whole story of the journey of the Israelites is, is, is encapsulated in Songs of Moses, one of, one of the Psalms, other places in Deuteronomy and, and other books and Chronicles, and it gives the whole story of their journey. Not so that they can worship the past, but so they can better evaluate where they are and what the calling is for the future. So I'm going to do that just briefly today. Okay, we're going to look back. Today marks the third, or this month marks the third year since this body of believers made a significant change in the life of this church. Okay, M many of you are new during that time. So this is not about like, Lifting up the folks who've been here longer, okay? Most of us are getting gray and, and get, you know, getting a little bit longer in the tooth. But it's a celebration of everyone that the Lord has brought to this day and this season. But we're going to look back. Three years ago, this month, this body of believers left the denomination that we were founded with a hundred and something years ago because of um, apostasy and heresy that that denomination was beginning to move into. After years of preparation and really good leadership, we were able to make the move to separate from that and step into a new vision that the Lord had given this body of believers. We'd been, he'd given it to us through prophetic words and through circumstances and through leadership and many things over the years. And as a body, almost unanimously, we stepped into a different direction and a new vision and a new calling. Okay? Three years. The number three is very significant in scripture and that's what I want to focus on just a little bit today as we talk about where we are and where we're going. So if you would, John chapter 2, just the first five verses. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding and when they ran out of wine the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does, that, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And I trust you know the rest of the story. Okay. It was the beginning of his public ministry. It was a the first of many miracles. It was the introduction of new wine, uh, which is talking about the life of the Holy Spirit in, a, in abundance. Okay, he's talking about joy. It was an introduction of joy, which is what our life in Christ is supposed to be, a life filled with joy. So all of that, that Jesus used this opportunity, this circumstance to usher in his public ministry. And I love Mary's heart that shows up in this, even though Jesus says, hey, it's not really my time. She didn't argue with him. She just says, whatever he says, do it. <laughs> she had faith. She knew. She knew. So, the interesting part that I want to talk about briefly is it says on the third day. 
Many of you know this, and, and I know because I'm going to repeat something you already know. Why was the wedding on the third day? The third day of what? It's the third day of the week. In the Jewish calendar, only one day of the week had a name, and that was the Sabbath day. All of the others were simply noted by number. The first day, the second day, the third day, and so on. So weddings typically were held on the third day of the week. Why? It goes back to Genesis chapter 1 and creation. What happened on the third day of creation? God separated the waters on the earth, and the dry land appeared. And God saw that it was good. And then God spoke and called forth the, the, the plant life from the seeds that had been planted in that dry ground that had appeared. And the plant life and fruitfulness and multiplication and reproduction began. And God saw that it was good. Twice on the third day. The third day of creation was doubly blessed. The others were blessed one time in the way the story is written. And that's why the weddings were held on the third day. It was a day that was doubly blessed by God. But doubly blessed for what? For the appearance of life and being prepared to reproduce and multiply. Okay? That's why weddings were on the third day. A new thing was formed as husband and wife came together to form one. The two became one. And out of that, the possibility, the promise, and the prophecy of life, new life, reproduction, multiplication. And we see that pattern all through Scripture. Whether it's the third day or the third year, we see the pattern all through Scripture. A um, few examples. Abraham. After years of preparation, over 50 years of preparation, God called him to take Isaac to a mountain that he would show him in the land of Canaan. And they journeyed how long? Three days. And on the morning of the third day, Abraham could see the mountain highlighted by God where he was to sacrifice Isaac. When Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt and they camped around Mount Sinai once they arrived at Sinai God told them to consecrate themselves for three days and on the third day he would come and dwell among them on the mountain first time that had happened since the Garden of Eden there would be the life of God among his people on the third day you remember Queen Esther she called for a, a, a fast an intercessory prayer in preparation for three days and on the morning of the third day, she goes before the king to plead for the life of the people. See, in each of these instances, there, there was a, a risk that had to be taken. There was a time of preparation leading up to a time of life. The greatest three days is the, the resurrection of Christ. Prophesied both Old and New Testament many times that on the third day he would rise. And he did. And out of what looked like death came the greatest life of all. And not just a life, but a time, that, a life that could reproduce. And we're all here today because of that that happened. So this, this pattern over and over again 
through the Holy Spirit. And I love that this is Pentecost Sunday. I honestly had forgotten that until this morning when I was praying and I got reminded that it was Pentecost Sunday. He is the spirit of light. He is the spirit that hovered over the face of the waters at creation. He's the spirit that in the last book of Revelation we see praying with the church, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. Let everyone who's thirsty come and drink freely of the water of life. He is the spirit of life. There is no spiritual life without him. He's the spirit that, re, that gives us a new birth. And he's the spirit of power that we go in when we go to minister, when we go to pray, when we go to deliver, when we go to preach, when we go to share. He's the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as spiritual life without the indwelling Holy Spirit. We are grateful for, for today's remembrance of that. This, these three days, the third day is a day of revelation. So things have been prepared throughout the days that preceded. But on the third day, life is revealed. Now the life was there. Things were happening before. But it was a time of testing. It was a time when of filtering. Who would stay, who would go, who, who, who would catch the vision of what God was doing, who would stay faithful to the calling, who would not quit. It's a time of filtering, a time of, of, of testing the heart, the metal of people who were pursuing God. It was a time for roots growing deeply. You remember the, the story, the parable that Jesus told, it's in Luke 13 about the, the landowner that planted a, a fig tree in the middle of his vineyard. And he would come back once a year to check to see if the tree was bearing fruit. You remember that story? So he came back one year, two years. Came back the third year. There's still no fruit on the tree. Do you remember what he told the keeper? Just cut it down. It's just taking up space. But what did the keeper say? The keeper could see something. The keeper could see something that the landowner was not. And he said, just, just be patient. Let me dig around it. Let me fertilize it. And then you come and evaluate it next year. And if you still find it with no fruit, we'll cut it down. But the keeper knew better. He knew that the life was there. That all through those three years when there, there was no visible fruit to be seen, things were still happening in the unseen. At the beginning of the third days, or after the, that third day, things often look dead to those who are on the outside. It doesn't look like there's a whole lot of life. You think about it, the beginning of the third day of creation, you had a globe covered with salt water. Then the dry land appeared. God had put the seeds in the, in the land. And at his word, they started bringing forth. So that by the end of the third day, the earth was filled with life. The beginning of the third day for Abraham, all he could see was a mountain of sacrifice and death. But by the end of the third day, he saw the provision and the goodness of God. When God provided for himself a sacrifice. 
During that time of preparation for Abraham, what had been happening? His faith had been growing. His vision of what God was doing had been enlarged. Hebrews tells us that Abraham was able to see something in his future that he never got to see in the flesh. But by faith he could see the city and the country that God was preparing. So much so that by the time he was ready to offer Isaac on that third day of their journey, Hebrews recounts for us that he had come to a place of such faith that even if he had to kill Isaac, he trusted that God would raise him from the dead and fulfill the promise of his descendants through that same sign that he was getting ready to kill. That's what had been happening in the heart of Abraham in preparation for the third day revelation. What about Esther? You know the story, right? If anyone went before the king without being invited, they got killed unless the king extended the scepter of favor to them. So that's why she called for the preparation and the fasting and the prayers. So as she entered into the palace on that third day, she did not know if she was going to find life or death. But she found life. And through her life, it got multiplied. And it brought salvation to all of the Jewish population that was among the Persians. And in, on the beginning of the third day, for the resurrection of Christ, remember, the Jewish calendar, the day begins at 6 p.m., begins at nightfall, right? So the beginning of the third day, it still looked hopeless to those who were outside. It looked like a, a tomb filled with a dead body of their Messiah upon whom all of their hopes and dreams had been placed. It was a dark night. But as they went to the tomb the next morning, as the ladies went the next morning, the, revel the revelation came of the resurrection and the life, and Jesus appeared to them. This is what it means to live in this unique place of a third day. What, what does it mean for us? A time of testing. Those of you who've been here on this journey, do you feel like it's been a time of testing? Have you had to make some decisions that you're not going to stop? Even if you don't understand, even if you're not sure, even if it seems weird, even if you don't know all the details. You've had to make a determination that you're not going to quit. Those of you who have joined us during this time, you, you've, you've been drawn by the Holy Spirit. You've seen something, you've felt something. That, that has brought you to this place. And you still have to be making that decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to keep going? Is the cost worth it? There is a cost to following the Lord. And he tells us to count the cost. But it is indeed worth it. It is a time when roots have grown deep. I, many of you I've known for years and years and years. And I see your face stronger now than it's been at any time in our lives together. More of a determination. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about a program. It's about his presence. It's not about what happens in this world. Okay? 
except that the kingdom of heaven is manifested, that we can be faithful ambassadors for God in this world, which is our calling. He's given to us a ministry of reconciliation. He calls us his representatives, his ambassadors. It is a time of defining uh, who we are, clarifying the vision, the Appalachian awakening, the other, shifting from sort of a, a, a normal Orthodox church, which was, I owe so much to that. I don't ever want it to sound like I'm criticizing. I'm not. I grew up, and I'm the great benefactor of the Wesleyan movement and of a reliance upon the, 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 the inspiration of Scripture, a reliance upon the indwelling Holy Spirit. I never want to take that for granted, and I never want to criticize it. But there is a time when you know that God's called you a different direction because the path, the boat you were on, got off track. And so we have decisions to make. What Are we going to stay true? It's not about trying to separate ourselves somehow from what other churches are or other movements are. It's actually just the opposite. It's about setting ourselves totally apart for God. Not apart from others, but apart for God. And joyfully welcoming anyone else who's doing the same thing, regardless of their label, regardless of differences there might be. Like Jesus taught his disciples, if they're not against us, they're for us. If they're casting out demons in my name, then do not stop them. They don't have to be part of our little group. They're doing the work of the kingdom. We need to bless them. We need to join them. We need to partner with them. This is the refining of the church that's going on all over the world today. But for this body, we're in a unique place. Of, of sort of wrapping up this third year because our roots have grown deep. The preparation has occurred. Our faith has grown stronger. Our vision has grown larger. Our, the clarity of our calling is better than it was before. God is bringing in people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that he wants working here in this body, in this place. And we celebrate that. And because of that, now we can look forward. We can evaluate where we are. It does not matter what others may say. It does not matter what others may see. We're the keeper in, in the parable of the, of the fig tree. We're the keepers right now. We're the ones that the Lord is saying. Is there life there? Others on the outside may say, I don't, I don't see a lot of life there. I see all the life in the world because I see and I feel the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in our midst. I see and I feel and I experience the life of the Holy Spirit, the words of the Father. Our roots have grown deep. We've learned to rely more upon the goodness and the provision of God, being totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And now we're entering a season when that life is emerging and it's going to multiply, and it's going to replicate, and it's going to blossom quickly. I promise you, that's the season we're in. So let's talk just a little bit about multiplication. What does that look like? <laughs> I wish I could tell you. Uh, uh, you never know what it's going to look like. You never know what the opportunities are going to be placed in front of you. 
The decisions that we have to make are not about, okay, let's have a plan. What does it look like? It's when God opens a door where we have the faith and the courage to step into it. That's, that's what's presented before us. When God calls us and gives us an opportunity and he challenges us with a question like he did Philip in the feeding, uh, the day he fed the 5,000 and, and the, even more. He said, you give them something to eat. And you remember Philip's supply, reply. <laughs> I can't do that. Even if I had a year's wages, it would only begin to feed a few of them. Okay. But God was teaching him a principle of multiplication that applies. Read, read through the scriptures. God will never ask you, he will never ask us, what do you need to do what I've called you to do? See, th that's how we think. In human terms, that's how we think. Oh, wow, this, this vision, this Appalachian Awakening vision, it's so, so huge. So we need this, and we need that, and we need people here, and we need resources there. God knows what you need. He does not ask you what you need or what we need to do what he's called us to do. What he asks us is, what do you have? What do you have that you're willing to give? Because it is what we already have that he asks us to give to him. And then he blesses it. He breaks it. He multiplies it. God is not limited by our resources. And, and I know, you know, we say that and, and we give lip service to it, but let's be honest, it's hard for all of us to step into that place where we actually will live our lives on that principle that God is not limited. My life in the Spirit is not limited by my resources. Period. There's not any riders that you have to attach to that. God is not limited by our resources. He can provide and does provide everywhere what is needed when people will give everything they have to him. I'm not talking about, uh, okay, I, I get accused of being a cult leader sometimes. I'm not. I'm not saying go sell your house and give the money to the church. I'm not saying go empty your bank account and give the money to the church. I'm saying you as an individual, you as families, and us as a church together, we lay everything we have on the altar and say, God, it's yours. Do with it what you will. I trust you to take care of my life. I trust you to lead God and direct me. And I know that the only thing that's going to hinder me from walking in the fullness of my calling is if I keep trying to hold on to my stuff. That's it. You lay everything out and you trust him in wisdom. We can't have it both ways. One of the things required in preparation to live in the third day is that coming to rely completely independent of, completely being dependent upon the Holy Spirit in your life. That's where freedom is. You remember the story of the talents? I know you do. One to one, the master gave five talents. To one he gave two. To one he gave one. The one with five invested it, returned five more. The one with two invested it, worked it, came back with two more. The one with one hid it in the ground, right? The 
master wasn't too happy with the one. He was very pleased with the others. It wasn't about how much was returned. It was about the willingness, the faithfulness to yield and to work. The keeper of the tree. Let me dig. Let me fertilize. Okay, Let's not wipe it out yet. There's life here. A willingness to invest yourself in what you've been given. Someday we'll all stand before the Lord. We are not saved by our works. Right? We are saved by grace. We are saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, by the shedding of his blood, and by our faith in him. But we are saved for good works. Everybody good with that? Okay. We are saved for good works. And someday we will all give account for what we have done with what we've been given. The, the reward for those faithful stewards of the talents. Remember what, what it was? What was their reward? They got to enter into the joy of their master. That's the reward. Who would sign up for that? I would. Who will sign up for that? And that joy is not just talking about in the next world. It's talking about in this world. You want to know where you find the joy of the Lord? It is as you give yourself, as you persevere and endure in service and obedience. As you surrender. That's where you start touching the joy of the Lord. Trying to kind of have it both ways will rob you of joy. One of the last times I, I preached here in January, February, I talked about Andrew Murray, and I was talking to Jamie this week, and he reminded me of that. Andrew Murray was a revival leader of, of South Africa from the Dutch Reformed Church in the 1800s. He really struggled with being fully dependent upon God until God kind of broke him and brought him to a place of full surrender. And he, he wrote this. In his book, Absolute Surrender, he said, It is not the yoke of Christ that is difficult. It is resisting the yoke that is difficult. The yoke of Christ upon your life will never bring you, will never bring you to a place of despondency. It will never bring you to a place of frustration. The yoke of Christ will never bring you to a place of brokenness. Resisting his yoke may. The place of full surrender is the place of joy. Whatever that looks like in your life, wherever God has planted you, whatever the opportunities he has given you, you are not accountable for the opportunities he's given me, and I'm not accountable for the opportunities he has given you. Okay, you're accountable for the opportunities he's given you. And today and forever, as you enter boldly and confidently with great joy into that place that he has provided for you, taking your eyes off yourself, focusing on him, focusing on his calling, focusing on other people, really trying with everything within you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
you will enter into the joy of the master. This world is crazy, if you hadn't noticed, okay? I think it's getting a little crazier. It's probably going to get more crazy before Christ returns. You know, it's okay. It's okay. We know who our Savior is. We know the end of the story. Do not let the lawlessness of the world rob your heart of joy. Do not let the lawlessness of the world take the, your life away from you. We're entering into an amazing time of revelation and multiplication. I promise you. I can see it. I can feel it. Okay, things have been prepared. It's an exciting time. So as I close, I, I want to invite you to do something. If... Um, just ask, I've been just asking the Lord what this looks like. I don't have a, a good plan here. Okay, I'm just being honest with you. But I know that I we need to pray together. And so I just, I just want to say, I want to move this out of the way. If you're willing to say, yes, Lord, I will dig around this plant. I will fertilize it. I will dig with my hands in service. I will dig with my heart in giving and loving my neighbor. I will give in intercessory prayer. I will give of myself in worship. I will try to, to the best of my ability, use the talents, the gifts, the abilities you've given me and the opportunities you've given me to nurture what you have planted here, where you have brought me, where you have put me to work. If you're willing to pray that kind of prayer, yes, let me be a keeper so that we can see the fruit. Then I just want to invite you to come up here, maybe just form a circle together, and we'll just pray. If you, as you, you can pray out loud as you feel led, okay? This isn't about me or John or the elders praying over you today. It's about us coming together and dedicating ourselves as a body of believers as we enter into this amazing third day, okay, this season of our fruitfulness as a body of believers. Father, we thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to set people free, to, set, to give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, to strength to the paralyzed, and life to those who are dead in their sins. I thank you for your joy.